Welcome to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, where we celebrate the craft of poetry. Each week, we feature interviews with incredible poets and artists, including Olivia Gatwood and A.E. Stallings, and original poetry read by the authors. I'm your host, James Moorhead, poet laureate of Dublin, California, and author of Canvas and Portraits of Red and Gray. David Wogan is the president and founder of Author Imprints and author of five books. David has a 40-year career managing and implementing technology systems, most frequently as they relate to media businesses and publishing. David has held C-level positions with a college student website portal and a VC-backed college sports media company known today as the CBS College Sports Network. Earlier in his career, David was the VP of Multimedia at the Times Mirror and managed technology for the 1984 Summer Olympics in Los Angeles. David is very active in the independent book publisher community and has a wealth of knowledge on successfully publishing and marketing books. David, welcome to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast. Hi, James. Great to be here with you. Uh, it's great to talk to you again. Um, yeah. I've got a number of questions that, that as a first-time author, came to me, and I'm sure will come to many of the listeners. Um, so where I would like to start is really go before you created Author Imprints. Share what you learned from your personal experience of writing and publishing your very first book. My very first book was an ebook. Nothing matters more than distribution. And so I had this great uh, ebook that was uh, dating myself now, but on a three and a half inch floppy disk. And it was, okay, well, how do you sell this thing? So that was a very early learning experience for me. It was that distribution matters more than anything else. And and uh, that's going to lead into some questions I have coming up. And that, that kind of ties into that publishing books is surprisingly complex. It goes way beyond the writing, requires a lot of patience, and is generally intimidating. Uh, so what triggered your interest in the publishing industry specifically? I'd say that I have been interested in publishing uh, and media since uh, very early days. In fact, when I think about it, I was a newspaper delivery kid mm -hmm. back in uh, as a teenager and, you know, wrote an op-ed once for a newspaper that got published. Uh, first thing I ever wrote and it got published, I was frankly shocked by. But I always had a, a just kind of love for publishing. And I think what I do now is really that kind of the ultimate manifestation of that where you're really managing the whole process, which wasn't possible until maybe, you know, eight or 10 years ago where mm -hmm. people like I could step in and, and actually help other people do it. And yeah, there's definitely been a, a you know, to, to do what I did with the uh, publishing my first book, you know, a decade ago wouldn't have been possible. Um, it's really remarkable how the industry's changed. So as you've worked with many first-time authors, uh, particularly given what is po it's possible to do yourself now that wasn't possible before, uh, what are some of the key pitfalls you warn about? The key pitfall is not anticipating or having, um, I guess, a, a, an appreciation for what happens after the book is released. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, Every author will tell you that. You know that from experience. You know, I drilled it into our conversations yes. as well. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, you can't emphasize that enough. 
Um, I, I did a survey in 2013 of about 300 self-publishers and uh, that was like the number one thing was marketing is no one appreciated no one really fully understood that until after the book was done she you know gosh i i thought the cover was hard or i thought writing was hard or i thought you know getting the production of the book was hard but then it that just pales in comparison so i kind of often smile at you know people who just uh, even a call this morning about some of the details it's you know the focus on i don't know maybe how the page printed page looks on the pdf and it's like Frankly, none of that stuff really matters to readers. It's, you know, it's, you, it's, you can have the most beautiful book in the world. And if you're not really kind of planning to get it out to people, then, you know, it's just going to sit there as this beautiful artifact <laughs> and not do anything. Yeah, they, no, it's they, they, the products and, and books, especially, they, they really don't sell themselves. That, or it's very rare that you have a product that just magically sells itself. And building on that thought, you know, one piece of advice you shared with me that really resonated was that for your first book, especially focus on building readers, not revenue and expand on that thought a bit. The question I ask every new author is, you know, what is your goal? What's your expectation or your goal with this? And a goal can be many things. It could be, you know, you want to make money with that. that people will tend to think in that it is, that might be what it is but really it's also uh, posterity or to help other people to spread the message you know and i'd say that when you look at all those different reasons for publishing more often than not it's not as a pnl it's not to make that income that would be nice but it's these other reasons it's to be read and so if you want to be read then you really need to be thinking about how do I get the book to as many people as possible and money really matters to people, especially for a new, a new author is if, if something is expensive, people aren't going to be taking a chance on reading that. And, and so that's why I would say, you know, readers over revenue is, you know, a good way to kind of position that is to, you know, if you can give the book away, mm -hmm. uh, because that's a way to get people really interested in it. And we all love, you know, it's a wonderful life or some of these other, you know, movies that we've seen repeatedly. And the reason is because they fall out of copyright, they become, you know, shown on television constantly, and it builds up this huge awareness for it and it becomes more popular than ever. And music the same way. So you see this across a lot of different, um, uh, you know, content types is the, the more you can, you know, it's, you also can say it's a big world, right? There's a lot more people out there than you realize. Um, and and this, the more that you can get it into their hands, the greater the chance of longer term success. And I've seen that repeatedly with other clients that will release a book and, you know, if those that release it at $10 or whatever the price is, what I'd consider a high price, and that's an ebook price, uh, they sell a few copies to people they might know. And, you know, that, that might feel good in terms of the margin on it. But the people that price it at, you know, 99 cents are free, 
usually, and if they stay at it a year later, they got a hundred or 200 reviews and now they can start raising the price and they're really making some money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that, uh, that element of the, the book launch is not really a launch. It's just a starting point. Um, and that all the work really begins at that point. Um, so self-published, yeah, I, sorry, go I on. Call yeah. That, yeah. Just to jump in, I call yeah. that a, you know, a soft launch really yeah. is that you, you put the date out there and, and it's, um, you know, it's that marathon, not the, not the right. So, so don't, you know, don't get all bunched up about that specific day. If it's a second or third book and you've been successful on the first one, then that's a different kind of, a, um, you know, a different kind of a launch and a different kind of approach to things and how you kind of embrace it. But for people that are doing first book launches, it really you know, needs to be viewed that way as soft. And you definitely want to, you know, you don't want to fool around for those 30 days, but you still need to be planning on a, a multiple of things because you never know what's going to really stick. Right. Of- right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing you got to throw it. You, if you knew exactly which dart to throw, it'd be easy and everybody would do it, but you don't, you, you have to throw a bunch of darts and, and hopefully one of them will land. Is definitely yeah. the way I look at it. So, self-published books can be treated as second-class citizens to traditionally published books. Um, first of all, do you think is that criticism fair? And what advice do you have to ensure a self-published book has the same quality as a traditionally published book? Um, so, on the first part, uh, and you might have to remind me about the details you want on that second piece sure. of that. But on the first part of it, uh, I do think that that's that that's changing um, in terms of it, you know, that second class. Um, it, it depends on the on the genre, actually. I was probably a better way to say that. Mm-hmm. It depends on the category of book that you're competing in. If you're writing something that is, uh, you know, um, pretty mainstream, I don't know, literary you know, quality level books, and you're expecting that to compete with some of the other really big ones out there, you'd probably be disappointed. I read a research, but but if you're doing some other, you know, more genre fiction and kind of narrow categories that are solving specific problems, I, I think self-publish is completely acceptable. I saw a research yesterday in one of the newsletters that said that cozy mysteries which is a really hot category in what's called MTS, mystery, thriller, suspense. Um, romance being the number one, there's multiple subcategories within romance. And the number two being the MTS, mystery, thriller, suspense, and there's multiple subcategories. One of those that's red hot over the last couple of years, few years, is called Cozy Mysteries. And that category, 70% of the top selling 50, I think top selling books in that category are self-published. Hmm. And there was a quote by uh, Carolyn Reedy. I can't, I think that's who it is, who was president of one of the big five publishers. I don't know if it was Simon and Schuster, one of the very large ones. And this is two years ago or three years ago. She made it at a speech at the Frankfurt, um, book fair which happens this time of year um, in the fall and she said that the publishing industry has lost an entire genre that being romance to self-publishers so you know it depends on where you're writing and in some cases self-publishers are actually much stronger than a traditionally published author Um, 
you know, so, you know, I, I do think that it's gaining that legitimacy, uh, depending on, you know, those categories and, you know, people still turn their noses up on it, but to your second part, which I think I hope I'm doing the transition right here to your question, but how do you ensure that your book is at the same standards, right? Will be yeah. respected by, um, by the, um, powers that be, so to speak. So I guess a couple of things. One is on the construction of it is, you know, a, what I call a, a category, um, specific cover. So does your cover compete? Is it, is it on par with other covers that are on top selling books? That's really important. Mm-hmm. And then number two is, you know, what's the reading experience? You know, there's presentation that's there and, and perhaps, I don't know, maybe most important of all, but it's hard to get people to this point is how does it read? Is it, is it a good yarn? You know, is it a yeah. good story? Is it, if it's so, if it's a nonfiction, is it solving a problem? Is it, if it's, you know, some other, you know, history book, is it bringing something new to light? And, and so all of those things, you know, I, I think the traditional published books, the big advantage of that, of going that direction is that you're going to work with an editor who really knows that genre well, mm-hmm. that really knows that subject matter. Otherwise, they wouldn't have bought your book. And, and so you're going to work with them. So not only are they kind of filtering that and saying, okay, well, here's a voice or an approach to a topic that we haven't heard before, and we're going to publish it, but that editor is going to help the author shape that book into something really outstanding. And so we do work with my company and others will work with people and you have what's called a developmental editor who will, and that's their job is to help you shape that content into a more commercially viable product, whether it's the organizational aspects of it, say if it's a nonfiction or a fiction book, you know, the storytelling being really compelling. Is it, you know, does it have that strong narrative drive uh, for that fiction book? And does it, you know, hit the right notes and the right tropes for for fiction um, in that particular genre? So that just comes from really knowing your category. I had a client a few years ago who um, he was writing in, um, I think it was paranormal romance and had never read a paranormal romance book. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was <laughs> kind of interesting that he, he, he did that. I was like, okay, well, how do you know really what your readers are going to react to? Cause if you're where this plays itself out is in the reviews. Yeah. So you're writing that book you've released it, you're trying to position it um, competitive to other books in its category. And then those people are reading are going, wow, this, this isn't anywhere close to, you know, the quality of the other books that I read. So those people are very discerning, right? And, and then, and you want that, right? uh, right. Because you're going to get either, you know, hopefully you're going to get a great review. And if you're not really writing to market correctly, then that review is going to reflect that. And so to me, that quality is, you know, the book positioning from the cover all the way to the writing of it and how it's presented, you know, description of the book or the categories it's in, those things all make a huge difference. 
So building on that, and, and one thing you've written about, and that I found very uh, useful in the in in the in your books that I read and helped launch my book was the whole area of reviews, which uh, and I break that into two pieces. There are the reviews that happen that you have lined up before you've even you know made had the book on sale, advance through advanced reader copies, and then the reviews that follow. Uh, you know, there's a, you, you have a whole book on it, so you can't possibly give all the stuff that you've read about. I, I, I've written about, I encourage people to pick up your books on this, but maybe synopsize the key things to think about as you approach planning for reviews. And, and again, it's about planning for reviews because I've definitely learned they don't just happen magically. You have to, you have to make it happen. Yeah. So here again, you know, it depends on your author journey. If this is, we're talking probably about first book authors. Yeah. Yeah. So you divide the reviews into two buckets, one bucket being uh, what you call an editorial review, and that's a review by some sort of subject matter expert uh, that that would have some sort of review or commentary blurbs about your book. The second bucket are customer reviews. So taking the first bucket first, the editorial reviews, those are things that you can align or set up prior to your book's release. So getting a copy of your book to these other subject matter experts. And so those people can be divided into there's paid expertise. So you can purchase reviews by um, companies that write those like Kirkus is one of the biggest names in the business. Uh, and then there's other smaller ones too, or, you know, maybe 30, $40 or $50 you're paying for. So you're actually paying for those reviews to come back. The challenge with that is, does your reader really care? Does your prospective mm -hmm. reader care or know who that organization is that's making that comment? And, and so that's, that's debatable on that. Another group within that bucket might be other authors or people, um, uh, you know, maybe a nonfiction, it would be a person that works for an organization that has some relevance to your book's subject matter. And then in that case, either that person's name or their organization would be important. And including their blurb on your cover or in the back of the book or online is really kind of helpful for that. So those are the editorial reviews. So those, those are how you can approach it. I do caution people that, you know, you don't want to, that's effective only to a point. Um, and, and I wouldn't overspend my time there uh, at the, at, you know, to take away from say customer reviews. So mm -hmm. the customer reviews are in a sense, actually a lot harder to get just because, uh, and it gets back to my very first point in the interview is just get your book out to people to read. Right. And right. because it's a numbers game. And so for, you know, you, you might have to get your book to 20 people or 50 people to get one review. And that just means, you know, pricing it lower or however way you can get it, people to read the book. Because you want, and the customer review is most commonly these days is going to be an Amazon gold star. And that's going to range from one to five um, gold stars, right? And so that's your social proof. And having people, having those gold stars is arguably more important than the editorial reviews. So the editorial reviews kind of get you to a certain point and people will maybe kind of consider your book, but those, but the, that social proof um, 
you know, we've all seen books with 1,500, 5,000 reviews, whatever it is, and and you go, wow, okay, well, that's good enough for me. Right. I'll, I'll grab a copy of that book because it looks like it's pretty popular. So that's kind of a no-brainer. Those people who are, you know, um, 10 and 20 and 30, it's, it's a struggle. So, uh, you know, the more of those that you can get, the better. And the way that you get those is, is usually by having some sort of a network uh, of people. And it could be people that you know well, a mailing list, perhaps on social media, it's less effective mm-hmm. than a mailing list. But, you know, um, you know, just pricing it right and getting people to read the book and encouraging them to head over to Amazon and leave a review. So just a couple more things. So uh, as a writer, I think in addition to having people you've never met read and love your book, you know, there are things, other vanity things or, uh, you know, seeing it on a bookstore shelf, cataloged in a library or, or, you know, even in the Library of Congress. What should a first time author realistically expect when they think about those things? Uh, I'd say that they, um, in terms of where the book would appear, in public? Yeah, where it would appear in public, you know, I, again, that's why I call them, uh, they're kind of like a, a vanity indication. You can walk into a bookstore and see your book physically there. And I, you know, there is a, when you're going down the self publishing route, there are some, you know, practical realities there. And I, I just want to get your perspective on that for first time yeah. authors. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say that the realistic place is just really the online bookstores. Uh, it, it's just, I tell the story about I worked on a nonfiction book um, with a big investment and highly professional, of course. Um, and we went to Book Soup in LA, which is a very old established bookstore on Sunset. And they sold more of that author's books than any other author up until that point. I mean, it's just like, a couple hundred books or some crazy number Mm -hmm. and as and as we're leaving the store actually i I took photographs of the store personnel removing the book from the window so you know uh (laughs) it's just that they just don't stick around and yeah i remember this russian proverb i always think about no wonder lasts more than three days and it's even less at a bookstore level so (laughs) i think the expectation on the vanity side is just don't don't expect it to get into a bookstore yeah. because the bookstore has to make that decision. They, um, they will order it if their people are buying it and you've really got to get behind it from a PR perspective. And most, you know, especially self publishers don't have the money to do that. Now, other things that are kind of interesting is that if you, um, have a nonfiction book in particular, and it is a subject matter that, um, you know, it's, it's professionally done. You're really kind of addressing an issue uh, and you get it coded correctly through, you know, Library Congress and with what's called a PCIP data block. Um, you know, and this is in my book, Register Your Book yeah. to do this. And the book can be acquired by what, what you're doing when you, when you do that is your book is getting entered into databases so that libraries can find it and place an order. And what's kind of fun is every once in a while I'll go on to... Uh, the WorldCat database is what it's called. The WorldCat database has a list of all the books and it shows the libraries that collect those books because they get coded into the system. And I can find a 
book my wife wrote on, on physical fitness. I find my book listed and I see, oh, it's available in these five or six libraries that are there. I didn't make any of that happen. It just, I don't know, it just maybe some other marketing or people get aware of it somehow. But it was interesting to see that it did show up. And, and yeah, I was pretty proud of the fact that it was being yeah. collected by a half a dozen libraries. So finally, um, you know, I'd like you to share a bit about author imprints, just to make it clear to everybody. Uh, I didn't pay to have David on the on this podcast, and he didn't pay me. Says, I invited him because I used his services for creating my book, Canvas Poems, and uh, his consulting services, and I was really impressed, and I've read his book. So I invited him because I thought what he had to say is going to be helpful to lots of other people. So maybe just spend a minute or two talking about author imprints and the types of things you do for authors, first time or not first time. Sure, thanks. I, the, the premise of the business is that, um, as we talked about earlier, years ago, they had vanity presses, and they're still around. And this is Author House or Outskirts Press or even companies like Lulu. And those are important businesses at the time because the only way to get your book um, prepared and into, say, a distribution system, into wholesalers like Ingram, in order to even be considered to be purchased by or uh, ordered by a bookstore or in the early days even to be listed on amazon you had to go through one of those other publishers because distribution was constrained there was no way to get it into that distribution and what happened when amazon implemented the kindle is they it was actually pre KDP, there was, they used to call it um, DTP, something like that, when I first started using it, and they changed the name to, to Kindle Direct Publishing. That allowed you, me, anyone to go directly to Amazon and actually to other stores in order to sell their book. So you really didn't need those vanity presses anymore. So my argument to people, so that was kind of like the first thing I noticed. The second one is that all those other businesses are giving away an ISBN. Well, the problem with that is that you're then locked into using, say, Amazon as your printer if you're using the free ISBN. So it got me interested in that. And so the business that of author imprints is really about the brand of the author as publisher. And my point to people is that you do not need to go through any intermediaries in order to get your book into the online stores, which is the only place that's going to sell it anyway, mm -hmm. for the most part. And so what we do is we will manage that entire process and create as professional a book as you will find anywhere and get it directly into these other online stores. You don't need to have a vanity press and you can do this yourself. I make it no secret that, you know, you can do DIY, just go direct and do it. We understand, you know, what's the order of front matter, back matter. We understand how to create the quality book and all the technical details. So people that have the budget will hire us to do that for them. And then, you know, either even, even manage it once the book has been launched. Terrific. Well, David, uh, first of all, I want to thank you for the advice you gave me uh, in helping me plan for my, my initial book launch and all the things I'm doing since then. So I really appreciate the uh, the services you provided. And I want to thank you for spending a few minutes sharing your story and what you've learned with the Beulah Wings Poetry Podcast. It was great talking to you. Yeah, same here. I really enjoy talking about it and always visiting with you, James. It's been a great experience. I'm so happy that your book has had a lot of success. Thank you. Thank you.
Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast is written and produced by James Moorhead. You can follow me on Twitter at Dublin Ranch, subscribe to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, and follow us on viewlesswings.com or on Instagram at viewlesswings.com.